Welcome uh, to the podcast of European Society of Anesthesiology and Intensive Care. I'm your host, uh, Professor Vojslava Neskovic. I work in Military Medical Academy in Belgrade, Serbia, as Professor of Anesthesia and Intensive Care. And currently, I am uh, a chair of uh, Gender Equity Committee. And today we will be speaking about uh, gender equity and diversity uh, with uh, Professor Sheila Miatra. And uh, she is uh, president-elect of India Society of Critical Care Medicine and chair of Intensive and Critical Care Medicine Committee of uh, the World Federation of Societies of Anesthesiologists. And uh, also one uh, very uh, visible and uh, a woman of uh, leadership in intensive care and critical care. So welcome. And uh, Sheila, it's lovely to have you today. And um, we were thinking of how to start this conversation before. And then I remember that uh, the year when I was born, uh, Mrs. Indira Gandhi was the premier of uh, India. And uh, knowing you as well, uh, we may see that uh, there is no lack of leading and strong women in uh, Indian society. However, we tend to see your country as a very diverse society and uh, mainly conservative and complex with the different religions and cultures. So can you explain to us how does that society look like indeed from the point of woman of uh, career? And how do women choose their career path, particularly in intensive care and critical care medicine? And what is similar and what is different from Europe and the rest of the world? Uh, thank you so much, Boyka. At the outset, I'd like to thank the European Society of Anesthesia and Intensive Care for giving me the opportunity to be a part of this uh, podcast. And you've asked many questions in this one question. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm really glad you've started with Mrs. Indira Gandhi, who was the Prime Minister of India for almost 10 years, a very strong and powerful woman and really a role model from India, for India. You know, it's interesting, in 1971, in a U.S. poll, she was actually voted as the most admired person in the world. Because, you know, a woman coming from India who was just so strong, was such a role model for so, so many women and individuals across the world. Uh, Indian society, like you rightly said, uh, you know, we are very diverse uh, society. It's India is a birthplace of several religions, uh, cultures, and all that affects, um, you know, the way we lead our lives, the way we are, uh, we conduct ourselves. And um, of course, it affects uh, our, uh, our careers, our lives as professionals, as women. Uh, so there is a wide variation. You can't really generalize. It's such a huge country. You know, you are talking about 1.5 billion people and uh, one in six people in the world is an Indian. So it's a large country. You really can't generalize. But I can say by and large, culturally, uh, we are a very family oriented uh, society and the links and not only just a nuclear family, but also an extended family. So that has also a lot of influence on the way women choose their, uh, their careers and uh, also on, um, you know, a lot of time is spent with, um, there are many functions, religious practices, and women are the center really of all this. So they have to be around a lot at home for all this. They can't just be out and just be, you know, working. And uh, that affects definitely the professional life uh, to some extent. 
but again it's different in rural india it's different in uh, urban india in the cities i would compare in the modern cities uh women are sometimes i see them even being more advanced than in women in the western world on the other side i would see uh, women in rural india who don't even have uh, an opportunity uh, to go out there and uh, express their dreams or you know uh, you know choose the career of their choice uh, because of various uh, societal and family and cultural pressures uh, around them so I, i don't think i can generalize i can just say that there is a wide variation and definitely uh the culture cultural structure and societal structure in india uh, affects um the professional life of a woman yeah so in a way it represents the world because we also tend to generalize one topic uh, even in europe there are many different countries and uh, uh different uh, problems regarding gender equity and uh, also serbia for example is family oriented uh, country as well uh so um What do you think uh, for, in terms of your work in intensive and critical care unit uh, does that uh, family oriented society affects for example uh, decision making regarding uh, um, patients and uh, for example uh, how does uh, these family dynamics may affect for example end of life decisions and uh, would you um, uh, adjust your communication regarding regarding uh these uh, cultural background and uh, does that affect your also decisions uh when you uh treat the uh, uh for example woman patient and a man patient right so this is a very important question i've uh, worked in intensive care units in the united states and other western countries and in india and very often i would see that um you know when you're making an end of life decision sometimes there is just one member of the family or sometimes it will be even difficult to contact some members of the family in india just because the way uh, like i mentioned the family oriented uh, structure is not just a nuclear family you will have some uncles some cousins some you know everyone just comes together during end of life and decision making so you can it becomes quite a challenge actually because um you have so many people out there who are around and who want to know that it's very difficult to make uh you know to uh, you know find out who is the right person that you should be speaking to and you can't just have one round or one sitting uh you know you actually have to identify okay this is the representative and you have to talk to them otherwise there can be conflicting messages sometimes going out and very often even a wife would say wait i'm waiting for his i want the elder brother of the uh, my husband to talk to you or i want this uncle to talk to you so she's often not making the decisions though she's uh, the closest to the the husband so that also becomes a bit of a, uh, an issue so often we have to have three to four rounds of counseling uh, before they uh, make a decision but uh, what's interesting is culturally and by religion i mean the hindu religion is the um, majority of the people are from the hindu religion and uh, you know de- uh, death is accepted uh, very well so you know speaking to a person it, it's not considered as it's considered as a continuation and going into the seven lives so things like that so you know it's it's more accepted but of course there are individual variations but we do have to do a lot of counseling and address several members we some of whom we may consider as distant relatives but for them they are very close relatives so this can be uh, quite a challenge and we also have to uh, you know cater what we are saying and titrate what the conversation is 
depending upon who we are speaking to, uh, you know, which family member we are talking to, and what is the relationship uh, with the uh, individual. Because there's, there may be someone who are uh, emotionally and, you know, very close to the patient, but on the other side, sometimes it is a distant relative who is the absolute authority making the decisions. So that is quite a complex structure, and that can be quite challenging, actually, uh, while counseling, especially during end-of-life uh, care. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> it's so very interesting, and we might um, learn from each other, and maybe we can also um, improve our uh, experiences and uh, accept what is, uh, let's say, more... Um, uh, plausible because there is a dying in intensive care unit and critical care and uh, there are some decisions that are sometimes not easy to make. But uh, what about uh, ac um, uh, accessibility of medical care in India and particularly women? I read one of your uh, articles when you said you were writing about women care beyond mater maternity care. So uh, how would you see that? How do you see these difficulties from uh, women with a different uh, uh, pathology and uh, how uh, does uh, uh, how can they receive actually uh, the most uh, adequate uh, care within, for example, Indian system, uh, health system? And uh, do you see any differences between the India and other countries where you worked? Right. So, uh, you know, before I talk about Indian women, you know, generally, globally, when you talk about healthcare for women, everyone's talking about maternal and childbirth. People talk about maternal health. And, you know, a woman spends only five years of her life, uh, you know, getting pregnant or having children. So, you know, the rest of her life, she has other health-related issues, which no one's really giving so much focus to. It's all maternal health, maternal health. And that's why I chose to write this article. And it's also doing disservice to those women who don't have children. So what about them, you know, when we just talk about maternal health? So it's beyond maternal health, really, uh, what we have to focus on. And coming to uh, uh, India, definitely there are issues. Again, as I said, it depends on where the woman lives. There's wide variation. Uh, you know, women who live in uh, big cities, they have uh, good access to healthcare facilities, whereas women who live in uh, rural areas may not have as much access. But is there a gender issue? Yes, there is, because... As I mentioned, because of the family-oriented uh, uh, sort of, um, you know, uh, societal structure, uh, women tend to neglect their health. They're looking after their children. They're looking after the, their exams. They're looking after the household work, the various chores they have to do, the various uh, religious and cultural practices that they tend to delay their whole health care. So it's well known that women uh, tend to present later uh, you know, uh, to the hospital. I work in a cancer hospital and I see a, a, a difference. A lot of women present much later than men do. So uh, I, I would not say any individual is to blame, whether it's men or women, but definitely uh, women's health is uh, definitely neglected. And uh, she's often not able to have access uh, to the right medical, uh, you know, kind of condition. Sometimes it might need her to travel from a rural area to a city. And she might think, no, I have small children and they need me. I can't travel. So better I go to a smaller uh, center over here. So there are many aspects and ways in which women's health uh, is neglected, not just in delay, but also in getting access to the best, best healthcare facility. Facilities, And I would say there's a long way uh, to go 
to improve this and this would be uh, you know not only just um, you know building awareness about this and also reaching out there to the women and helping them uh, so that they can get the best of healthcare and early okay so what would be for example your plan and do you think, well, I read somewhere that education is necessary, but it's usually not enough. And uh, when you want to implement change, sometimes it's just not enough to educate people. So how would you see what, what would be your places for improvement, for example, to make this uh, accessible care uh, better for, for women and particularly for critical care uh, and intensive care units? All right. So... Uh... Any kind of change, as you know, never happens overnight. It's a process. So it is first about, um, you know, empowering women and, you know, sensitizing people, not just women, but, you know, you know, the woman is, uh, you know, they say that you educate a woman and you educate a family, you know, because uh, so that's that's the kind of thing that people say here. Uh, so it's it's very important that the woman should be educated. She should be aware about her needs and how important her health is not only to her family, but also to her as an individual. So I think it's a process not only involving uh, education, but also looking up uh, to various women in the healthcare setting. Because women here tend to reach out to other women in the healthcare setting and try to you know, uh, go up to them and get uh, advice and counseling from them. So I think as women healthcare professionals, we have a big role to play. Uh, in this uh, process, you know, uh, so I think it's not something we can achieve overnight, but we really need to help uh, these people who are living in various uh, settings who do not have the access to the best of healthcare. And uh, there is definitely a gender related uh, difference in this uh, aspect. And I, I think it's beyond just uh, education, it has to go into, you know, uh, making women realize that, you know, they are important, their health is important, not just for the family, but very much for themselves. So I think there's a long way to go. Yeah, but then we come to a point when we started to talk about this uh, gender equity in India. You told me that because you have uh, large parts of the countries where women are goddesses and that the gender issues uh, should not uh, actually, uh, you don't see them in India as uh, being uh, so uh, uh, predominant. But on the other hand, we see that women are very much family oriented and probably they don't choose any other path other than family. So uh, wouldn't you see that as gender bias as well, that women, yes. women are actually biased because they value some of their roles more than, uh, than uh, professional roles? So uh, can you see there some places for improvement too? Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. Because, you know, I always see people blaming, you know, women sometimes or others blaming men for this. But like you rightly said, you know, most of the goddesses, the Hindu goddesses are women. And they're really, women are really looked up to, respected. The mother is like the center of the family and, uh, you know, uh, holds a very respectable position in society, to be honest. But women kind of revel in this kind of role that, you know, I, I'm in this uh, center of this. And, uh, you know, they don't... Um, you know, they, they kind of admire this role. They like to have the lead in religious procedure, you know, functions and to be, uh, you know, around the children. And they also look at themselves, uh, you know, as very powerful in these positions. So I wouldn't say that really they're kept away, but sometimes by choice and because of the family oriented structure, 
you know, it's not possible for them to take up some professions that they really want to. So that kind of stops, um, you know, women. And what's happening is that the most important years when they have to really make their career is also the time when they're either getting married or they're having children. So everything is happening together and that makes it very uh, difficult for a woman. It makes it very stressful, actually, uh, for her to cope with all this. So sometimes she takes the back seat and it's usually uh, the husband who goes forward with his career. And women actually allow this sometimes, I think. So uh, that's where we have to, uh, you know, really uh, rethink uh, the role of uh, the woman in a, in a professional society. And I don't think we can really blame men all the time for it. But I think even women make these choices because they find it very stressful. Uh, even to do, um, you know, we have very few women in uh, intensive care. And it's not because they're being kept out of intensive care. It's because they don't want to do such uh, labor-intensive, uh, you know, professions. They prefer to have, uh, spend more time with the family. So it's more by choice sometimes. But definitely if we would make the family structure and the societal structure more conducive for them, I think they would be able to go forward and take up these roles as well. So uh, as a women, we have to empower other women. And uh, just in short, can you give us just uh, a final message uh, for uh, making women strong and uh, to take uh, part in uh, intensive care medicine and critical care medicine? Right. You know, uh, as a woman in a, in, a, in a leadership position and in a, in a, you know, a career where I, which is quite labor intensive, I think it is very important for women to be role models for other women. Women empowering women is really, really very important. I think any kind of discrimination we should fight very fiercely against. I'm not so much for reservation of women. I think we're going too far these days sometimes with that. But I really feel we have a role to empower women. You have to get them forward. You have to be advocates for them. You have to, you know, even when, just to give you one or two examples, uh, when you're looking at speakers, sometimes it's only the men who get selected. So as women, we should say, no, there are these other very good speakers. Or even when you have projects or whatever, make sure that you pull up the women because women sometimes hesitate to come forward. In all our teams, we have many women who are members, but uh, they don't uh, look at themselves as leaders. And I think that's where people like me have a very, me and you have a very important role to play. Because after I became the president of the Critical Care Society, the first woman in 28 years, people came up to me and said, oh, we never imagined a female could be a president. And looking up to you, we feel that this is possible. So I think we have some role in uh, inspiring other people, in empowering them. And I think that should be the way forward and while fighting against any discrimination and not just looking at, uh, you know, reservation for women, because I think women are no less than men uh, intellectually and academically and professionally. So I don't think that we should be look at ourselves as some weaker section of the society that needs reservation. Okay, thank you, Sheila. You definitely inspire, and you inspired me. And I thank you very much for this uh, conversation. And also thank everyone for listening to this episode. And Essaic uh, releases monthly podcasts on the Essaic website on um, and various streaming platforms. So uh, we hope you, we audience, will uh, join us for the next one. And also, I would like to invite everybody to follow uh, gender equity committee activities and uh, to stand up and uh, for. Uh, 
uh, gender equity and diversity in uh, uh, your own environments. So uh, thank you very much for uh, today's uh, podcast. Thank you, Voika. Thank you so much.